Well, what if God can use your weaknesses and your failures to grow you and to advance his kingdom? What if God can even use Satan's attacks to grow you and advance his purposes in the world? Well, let me tell you, God can. He can do that, and he does and he has. Therefore, we can have victory in weakness. That's so countercultural. As we talk about spiritual warfare, and this is the series that we're in, and maybe that's discouraged you because you're thinking about the maybe your own weaknesses, your, the, the sin that maybe you felt temptation to, the, or the worldly systems, or Satan himself. Well, the good news is that God can bring victory and advance his kingdom even through these enemies. And that's what we're going to look today at today. He is that powerful. That's the first point. The first point is God is so powerful that he can even use your weaknesses and even Satan's attacks to advance what he is doing. Now, the second point is that leaders in God's kingdom must also reflect this power through weakness. Now, oftentimes when we think of power, we we think of leadership. Well, godly leaders need to reflect the truth of the kingdom in that there is power in weakness. This showing God's power through weakness and service. So in spiritual warfare, the The natural rules don't apply. The natural rules that that victory and leadership belong to the powerful, they, they don't apply because God holds the true power. And so victory is ultimately from him and not ourselves. And in fact, we image God's power in a greater way, even in our weaknesses. And usually the supernatural shines all the brighter when things of the natural world fail and fade because God's power is manifest often in our weaknesses. And so we're going to look at two scriptural examples today. First, we're going to look at Jesus. That's always good, right? First look at Jesus. But then we're also going to look at the Apostle Paul. Our first scripture reading is in John chapter 13. It's a fairly long scripture. But I want you to, as I read it, this is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It's a very famous passage. But I want you to think about spiritual warfare uh, in this context. All right, so John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let's stop there. Did you notice that? There's spiritual warfare going on right now. That, that um, the devil had caused Judas to betray Jesus. And not only that, but look at the next verse. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So not only did um, Satan use Judas to betray Jesus, but Judas used Judas to betray Jesus. But that betrayal would ultimately lead to the crucifixion of the Messiah. Spiritual warfare going on. Well, Jesus, verse 4, what, how did you, what did Jesus do? 
rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. You see, Peter is used to the the normal ways of leadership in the world, and that is the master doesn't perform the lowly task of washing feet. So Peter, he objects. He says, no, 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 you can't do that because, you know, that's power. If you're powerful, then we need to serve you. But Jesus responds, he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So so Peter's starting to catch on. But then Jesus says to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And Jesus is pointing out that they've been cleansed by Jesus' word, but now there's a daily cleansing that needs to take place. Verse 11, for he knew who would betray him. He was talking about Judas not being clean. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed you are if you do them. So again, I want to point some things out. First is, yes, there's spiritual warfare going on here. This is a direct attack by Satan who put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. Now, if we were to look the next day, right, on Friday, and this is Lent season when we're looking forward to Holy Week, and Holy Week's only a, a couple of weeks away. So if we, on Good Friday we were to look at the situation, I mean, Satan seemed to have quite a victory. Not only did he get one of Jesus's inner 12 followers to betray Jesus, but there was Jesus hanging on the cross, the, a, a victim of Rome. So it seems like evil won a victory all around here, didn't it? And yet, we know that's not the end of the story. God used that betrayal. He used Jesus' death to bring the most incredible victory ever. Because death, betrayal, that would not, that, that wasn't the end of it. No, the end was where Jesus rises from the dead. He rises victorious over sin, over Satan, over death. Isn't that what the gospel is? That Jesus died for your sins and on the third day rose from the dead. That's 1 Corinthians 1-5. That's what the gospel is. And so we need to get it into our mind that a part of the gospel is, wow, God even used Satan's schemes to advance his purposes and glorify himself. You see, that's the power of God. That's the power in weakness. Again, we often think we're so stuck in the earthly realm 
that when we're looking for victory, we look for power. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ has victory even in weakness. That God is so powerful that he can even use his enemy's schemes to further what he's trying to do in the world. And so when we think of power, right, we often think about leadership. And this passage, um, it also addresses spiritual warfare and leadership. So in this series, I've wanted to sort of pause and talk about how should leaders think about spiritual warfare and how do those things go together? Well, it goes together the same way. There's power in weakness, in weakness. You know, as the great shepherd of the sheep and leader of leaders, Jesus gives us an object lesson in John 13. He gives us an object lesson of the cleansing that he's doing. It's an object lesson of his death on the cross, his servant death. But it's also an example, right? Because verse 15 says, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So in washing the disciples' feet, he took on the lowest servant's tasks. That was, that was the lowest. Yeah, some servants served and some did other things, but the lowest one on the totem pole would wash people's nasty feet because they're walking in those days dusty roads and all sorts of manure on the road. And so if you were the lowest servant, that was the task you got, was washing people's feet. Jesus takes on this task as an example to show that leadership in Christ's kingdom is different It's not the same as leadership in earthly kingdoms. So that when we think of spiritual warfare, yeah, spiritual warfare is also different in Christ's kingdom than in the earthly kingdom. And so usually in warfare, what do we look for? We look for more power. But in the spiritual realm, Jesus is showing us that no power is perfected in service, in weakness. Jesus exhibits a servant leadership, a self-sacrifice and that's so different from the world which seeks power for control, for self-promotion. But Jesus-style leadership means even serving those who would betray you and deny you. I mean, think about it. He washed Judas's feet. He was there, and he washed the feet of the person who was betraying him. He washed Peter's feet, who would deny him later. Not using power to serve self, but using power to serve God and serve others. That is power and weakness. Now, Jesus also did this foot washing as an object lesson for the cleansing that he would accomplish the next day by, by giving his life on the cross. Because the death on a cross was pretty much the lowest form of death one could have. In fact, if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified because it was thought to be too degrading and humiliating. And so Jesus, this is an object lesson. That's why he says to, you know, to Peter, you don't quite understand what I'm doing to you now as I wash your feet, but you'll understand later. Why will he understand later? Because later he will understand that Christ gives his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life on the cross for the true deep cleansing. And that's the object lesson of that foot washing. And notice, when he gets to Peter, he says to Peter, no, I I still need to wash your feet. 
See, here we had already 12 leaders, 12 leaders in Jesus' movement, right? The 12 apostles, the highest 12, the most influential 12. And perhaps Peter was thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't, even if you should, not only should you not be washing my feet, but you know what? I'm, I'm already in the kingdom. I'm already one of those people who are in the in crowd. But Jesus says, no, if I do not wash you, in verse 8, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. That they still needed to be cleansed by Jesus to be part of the kingdom he's establishing. So I think this point, what I really want to make here that I see in the scripture is that to lead in the kingdom you need to be cleansed by Jesus. And you may think, well, of, of, of course, we, we know that. But do we? Do we? Often, when I get leaders together and, and, and talk about with Christian leaders, we often start going into them. We talk about them. Well, they need the gospel. No, we need the gospel. Daily, we need to come to Jesus to wash our feet and cleanse us because every day there's a spiritual warfare going on. Every day Satan's trying to take us out. So every day we need to be reminded and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your cleansing. And so in the upper room we see that these Apostles, these apostolic leaders must first accept their need for cleansing by Jesus. And then follow his example by, by, um, by being servant leaders. Not going the way of Judas and succumbing to the evil one. But leaders, before we think we can follow Jesus' example, we better realize our utter need for Jesus' cleansing. His empowerment. Because remember, Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the insiders. And so leaders, we're not called to lead from our own strength or our own power, but from our weakness and our utter understanding of our need for Christ to cleanse us from the inside out. In this way, God is glorified. And his supernatural power is manifested. Instead of earthly power, instead of earthly human ability, Christ's power is manifested. And so being cleansed means an acknowledgement of your weaknesses, your inability to conquer the enemies yourself. And so leaders, we must first realize that we are losers. Leaders, you need to realize you are a loser apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we are losers. We're losers to sin, Satan, and all of those things. We've seen our need to be cleansed by Jesus, and we see our need ultimately to have victory in Christ and for his power to be made perfect in our weaknesses. And so first, leaders must first be followers. Givers must first be receivers of Christ's cleansing. And so being cleansed means an acknowledgement of your weakness. That need to daily be cleansed by Jesus, again, it's all the more necessary if you're a leader because as a leader you have more influence. And therefore, if you have more influence, you are a higher value target from, from Satan and his attacks. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not a leader or anything like that. No, if you have influence, you are a leader of some sort. You may be, have influence in your family, in your workplace, in your circle of friends. And the greater the influence, the greater the spiritual attack. 
But as a church leader, you will be constantly tempted to confuse your agenda and your kingdom with God's kingdom. As a church leader, you will be betrayed. You'll be disappointed by church members and fellow leaders. Jesus was. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. So if we're following Jesus in servant leadership, we need to expect the same things that Jesus experienced, we'll experience. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was disappointed in Peter and the rest. Why would we expect anything different if this is truly spiritual warfare? As a leader, people will abandon you at the very moment you need support. But they'll spiritualize it. Well, I'm praying for you. But again, that's what happened with Jesus. When Jesus was being arrested, what did all the disciples do? They fled. As a leader, people will misunderstand you and gossip about you. Jesus, after all, was accused of casting out demons by the power of demons. So as a leader, you will be under spiritual attack and you will be wounded. You will be scarred. But let me warn you, fellow leaders, as I have warned, your battle scars, and this is, this is what I was nervous about talking about leadership and spiritual warfare, because sometimes people go, yeah, leaders get all, this, all, this, all these scars, all these wounds. Well, your battle scars are not trophies for you to show how tough you are or to show how much you've done for the kingdom. Your scars, your wounds should not point people to you, but point people to the scars on Jesus' hands and on his feet. Because every scar that we may bear as a leader or as a Christian is a testament to that if it were not for the victory of Christ, you'd be a casualty of spiritual warfare. You'd be like Jesus, uh, Judas. I would be like Judas if it were not for Christ's scars on his hands and his feet so that he even takes our wounds, he even takes our failures and mistakes and he can turn them to advance his kingdom in our lives and in our world. But that's the great privilege also of leadership that you're serving this Jesus who died for you. You're gonna follow him into some difficult things and in so doing, you're going to be part of bringing Jesus' redemption to yourself, to those mistakes, to that spiritual battle, and into the world. And it's a redemption so deep and so significant that God even uses Satan's attacks. He even uses, again, our weaknesses to show his gospel and his power all the more. That's how powerful God is. We're so used to, all right, you have power over things so that you crush things. But God is so powerful that he'll even take those weaknesses and turn them into redemption. So some of you might be thinking, well, why, why in the world would I want to be a leader then? Or, because we need leaders. Right? Every organization in the church, we need Christ-centered leaders. And you may think, so is this, I mean, is that your recruitment? You know, it's kind of rough. Well, here's the thing. Leaders, just like every other Christian, you know what it's about? What spiritual warfare and the spiritual journey is really about? 
It's that Jesus says, follow me. And you got to follow him. If, if you truly trust and love him and know who he is, then when Jesus says, follow me, you know there's no one more worthy to be followed. Really, it comes down to that. And we can either say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, even though you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Or will we give in to Satan who says, oh, whoa, that is too difficult. You don't want to follow Jesus through there. That's too difficult. Well, you understand that there's no one more <laughs> worthy of being followed. Answer that call. Answer that call. He is worthy of that. And I know we're running a little bit uh, late because of things, but I want to show you one more scripture that really shows the paradox of power in the kingdom. The, the paradox of power in weakness is that it also applies, yes, it applies to leadership, but it applies to even your day-to-day -day battles, that God can bring victory in your weaknesses. So the Apostle Paul, right, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, he experienced God's victory in his weakness. He writes this, verse 7. So the Apostle Paul he was just talking about how he had some wonderful visions. God was doing some amazing things, showing him some amazing things. And verse 7 of chapter 12, he says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me, um, yeah, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not amazing. So Paul says he has a thorn in the flesh. But what does he call it? A messenger of Satan. Spiritual warfare. Now, many people wonder, what is he exactly? Is this? Is some people say, well, I think maybe he had epilepsy or mental illness like depression or was it a demon? What do, we don't know. The details are not revealed. But what is clear is that Satan was behind it. It was a messenger of Satan. Spiritual warfare. So what did Paul do? What can you do when you have a thorn in the flesh? So maybe it is a sickness. Maybe it's a relationship issue, a mental illness, addiction. What is your thorn in the flesh? What is your struggle? Well, what did Paul do? Well, first of all, he trusted that because Christ won the victory over sin, Satan, and the fallen systems of the world, he prayed three times, God, apply that victory on the cross to this situation and cast that, that messenger of Satan away from me. Now, Paul had done this with many other people many times. He had healed people. He had cast out demons. So he says, all right, this is how it works. So he prayed, God, apply that victory and cast that, that thorn in the flesh away from me. Take it away from me. But instead, God gives him a different answer. 
God says, well, wait a minute, Paul. You've seen God's power in casting out the demons and in victory over these things. I want to show you victory and power through the weakness. Isn't that amazing that God can do that even in our weaknesses? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Again, wait a minute. Isn't weakness the opposite of power? That's what we're told. But not in the kingdom. Not in the kingdom of God. Weakness is an opportunity for God to manifest his power through that weakness even more. Man, in God's kingdom, victory comes through weakness, through self-sacrifice. Leading comes through serving. That's the cross. That's the cross of Jesus. Victory in weakness. Victory through service. And so for Paul, the the thorn in the flesh continued to testify to his need for constant cleansing, constant empowerment from God. So that every day when he woke up and he felt that thorn in the flesh, again, whatever it was, maybe it was an ailment, a pain. And he wakes up and he feels that pain and it causes him to daily say, God, I need you. If I'm going to get through this day, I need your power to manifest in this weakness so that I don't get taken out by this messenger of Satan. Rather, I'm able to go through it and glorify you in a new way, in a way I hadn't before. That's what it looks like. Through this battle, God is is growing you. This wound pointed Paul to Christ. It pointed others to Christ. Satan's attacks were actually used for Paul's growth in God's glory. So that's so countercultural. That's so against how things usually happen in the flesh. And so it's so countercultural that perhaps that you haven't you haven't stopped in your particular difficulty to see what is God doing in the midst of your struggle in the midst of your hardship. So again, I want, you to, I want you to start to think, what is your struggle? What is your weakness? Or should I say weaknesses? We all have more than one. What is that struggle right now? And maybe God has immediately brought it to your mind. You know exactly. You know exactly what God is, is telling you right now. What weakness, what struggle that, he's, that, that you're going through. Or maybe you need to take a moment And pray to God and say, God, what weakness, what struggle have I been asking you to take away, but I actually haven't asked you, maybe what are you doing in the midst of it? Again, perhaps it's, yes, continue to pray. Continue to pray God would take it away. But maybe it's depression. Maybe it's addiction, bipolar, conflict in your marriage. Continue to pray that God would take these things away. But maybe right now, Instead, ask God, what are you doing in the midst of it? What are you doing in the midst of this difficulty? Because perhaps God wants to show you his power right now in the midst of that struggle. Not by taking it away, but by having the power of the cross redeem it from the inside out. So what is that? What is that thing, that struggle? That's the paradoxical power of weakness in the kingdom. Again, God doesn't just have victory over sin and Satan. 
but victory through them. So as you, again, take whatever struggle you're in right now and you're going to lift it up to God, I want to tell you, this doesn't make that thing good. It's still going to be painful, but it can mean it'll be used. I think of Judas, and he wasn't redeemed, but yet he was used by God. But then I think of Peter, who disappointed Jesus, but yet he was still redeemed and used by God. Let's be a Peter, not a Judas. So now if everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes, take this next moment, ask God what weaknesses, God. Holy Spirit, move about this place. Speak to each one of our hearts and to our struggles and our weaknesses. say that. If you want God, if you're ready for God to to perfect his power in you, in that weakness that's in your mind right now, everyone's eyes are closed. Would you stand? Those who are ready to say, God, I don't want you to take this away. I want your power to be perfected in this struggle, in this weakness. Would you stand right now? God, you see into our hearts. We cry out, be perfected in our weaknesses. Those of you who want to say it with me, say it. God, may your power be perfected in my weakness. Perfect your power in our weakness, God. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our crying out, our lifting up of our weaknesses. Lord, make your power. Work in them and through them. May your gospel be manifested in the very things, Lord, that we're lifting up to you. May they cause us to daily run to you for cleansing and th- use them, Lord, to grow us and fill your kingdom.